you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Amen. First Samuel chapter 30. If you have your Bibles, I want to take you into the word of the Lord tonight. First Samuel chapter 30. Uh, I am going to be doing a lot of reading tonight um, at some different points in my teaching, preaching, and um, I will try to walk you through it tonight. I know um, we are a little short-handed tonight in the media booth, but I know they'll do their best to try to stay along with us. First Samuel chapter 30, and I'm going to read four verses, verses 1 through 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south. And Ziklag had had invaded the south and Ziklag and, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and all the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. It's a sad story. It's a sad day. And David and all of his men are weeping until they have no more power to weep. Now, I'm using this story tonight as the storyline in which I want to bring our discussion tonight. Um, And what I want to teach from or talk from uh, tonight, by the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you about conquering what controls you. Conquering what controls you. The scariest truth is that most people believe that they control everything in their life, even the things that actually control them. And so I'm going to try to help some folks tonight, and if the Lord will help me, and if you will help me, uh, I'm, going to, I, I'm going to try to get into the Word tonight and pull some excerpts out of Scripture and talk about how we overcome some things in our life that get a grip on us. And if we don't get a grip on it, in the end, it'll destroy your life. Many think they have control, but they're mistaken 
Because the truth is, is they have become comfortable coexisting with things that are stronger than they are. And many of the things that control you are not spiritual things. We like to blame them on the spirit, say, well, the old devil is fighting me. Well, he may be fighting you, but he's fighting you through the flesh. And you're trying to conquer a fleshly battle in the spirit. So you feel like if I can pray enough or get enough faith, I'll overcome it. But the truth is, you've got to resist it. You've got to conquer it where it is conquering you. You've got to fight back. Lord, help us tonight to talk about what you have for us. Help me, Lord, to teach your word tonight. I pray, God, that the minds and hearts of your people are open to receive the word of God. Lord, that maybe somebody that has been struggling tonight will find the answer to their deliverance, Lord, and that there will be overcomers that will leave this house tonight overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Boy, if that was a shout, I'm in trouble tonight. How many of you have ever been in transition? Ever been in transition? Like your job didn't work out and somebody asks you where you work and you tell them, well, I'm in transition. It's a nice way of saying I'm unemployed. Transition means it's when you're between assignments. You're, you're over the past, but you haven't yet reached your future. And it's, it's the season that is between seasons. How's that? It's the season between seasons. And uh, you, you kind of, you're, you're hoping the next season, get you kind of get caught in the middle. Now, I, I wasn't aware until a few minutes before service tonight that our Young adults were going to be out, and I kind of built this tonight with a lot of hope that I was going to be speaking to our young adults because there, there's a specific reason that I wanted to talk to them about this subject tonight. And part of the reason is this, because in the young adult season of life, those of you who have a, are a little more experienced in life understand that those from those older teenage years and through the young adult years is really a season of transition. You're kind of trying to come into your own. You're trying to learn how life's going to be for you. They're looking for trying to decide on education and decide on jobs and careers and futures and where they're going to live and who they're going to marry. And there's a lot of transitional things that happen right through that time in life. It's not the only time there's transition. But that's a, that's a real big transitional point uh, in, in life, always trying to, uh, trying to find where you are. The truth is, is those of you that I'm talking to tonight, I don't know many, many people that go into transition willfully. Most of the time, there is something that happens in our life that pushes us into transition. Like we didn't want to lose the job, but they, they, they did a cutback. We didn't want to have to move, but circumstances came that forced us to move. It's that transitional time. I didn't want to change jobs, but it, it had to happen. So transition, uh, transition can, be, can be said as 
sometimes we can say we're in transition because it's a nice way of saying something went wrong and I'm not sure what to do, so I'm in transition until I figure it all out. But we all go through transitions, and you have to be careful because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will get stuck in a season of transition. And so we will continue because we learn how to coexist. We learn how to get by. We learn how to, to, to push and force our way through in this season of transition. And this is the point that people reach that they have a hard time making decisions. They struggle with commitment. Does anybody in the house know what I'm talking about? And it's usually something that pushes them into transition. transition. Transition doesn't usually come just out of our own will and out of our own nature. But whatever it is that pushes us in to that transition, often we'll get stuck in transition if we don't push our way out of transition. Because during that season of transition, is when we usually fight some of the greatest demons that we will ever fight, both external and internal. Can I get a witness? It's during that season of life, wherever it is, and, and that season comes and goes through life. When we get in that season of transition, if we're not careful, we will deal with things that we ought to not have to deal with long term. But the only way that we're going to get beyond dealing with the demons of transition is we're going to have to get beyond them. We've got to get over them. We've got to resist them. We've got to push through them. It's like, it's like the individual who ends up in divorce but never intended to end up in divorce. And if they're not careful, they'll get stuck in that transition and they learn to be comfortable with it because of the hurt of the past and the pain that they went through, wondering if they ever want to go through it again and they learn how to exist and they're living their whole life in a holding pattern filled with fear, doubt, all sorts of ungodly things that they deal with in their spirit, their mind. They deal with inferiority. They wonder if they're good enough. It happens financially. It happens in relationships. It happens all through life. Transitions are part of life. But if we will make the right decisions during the seasons of transition, it can be what propels us into a brighter future than we would ever be able to have. But during transition, there's an old song comes to mind. You got to hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. And hold to God's unchanging hand. Because if you don't, you'll cling to the things of the world. And sometimes we build security blankets and 
we find ways we become pacified in the middle of this transition of life. And we get stuck there because we, be, we feel more secure in the struggle than breaking out of the struggle and getting through to the other side. So there's a few little things I want to drop, a few nuggets for you to pick up as we're talking about this. First, we've got to, we've got to keep moving during seasons of transition. You have to stay faithful during seasons of transition. You can't become satisfied during seasons of transition. You have to recognize that it is transition. I'm not supposed to build here. I'm not supposed to take up residence here. I'm not supposed to buy property in transition. It's the place I am between places. It's the season I'm in between seasons. But you have to keep moving. And if not, here is the scary part. Often we will get pulled back into the struggles of our past. It may not be the same people we deal with. It may not be the same job we deal with. It may not be the same location we live in. But we go back and deal with the same things at the new place. Because we fail to keep moving. Now I want to tell every one of you tonight, because some of you I may be talking to, and while I've started talking, you realize maybe it's spiritually you're in transition. Maybe literally, relationally, you're in transition. Economically, you're in transition. Whatever, wherever. But to some, I may have already spoken to you tonight before I even get into the meat of what I want to talk about. But I want to tell you that God has a plan and a place for you. And it's not called transition. He allows seasons of transition because oftentimes it's in the season of transition that you do some learning and some self-discovery to where God can take you to the next place. But during transition, you've got to be willing to deal with change. I'm preaching good to you already. You've got to deal with change. And that doesn't always mean everybody else in your life's got to change because the struggle may be within you. Because the enemy may be in me. The real struggle may not be external. The real struggle may be internal. What I'm dealing with may not be the boss's fault. It may be my fault. My struggle may have not been my spouse. It may be me. It may not be my co-workers. It may be me. It may not be the mentality of where I live. It may be my mentality. It may not be the spirituality of the church I came from. It may be the spirituality that I walk and live in every day. But if you get too comfortable in transition, you'll get stuck in a bad pattern. And it's just a big, it's just a circular pattern. And you watch people who get stuck in transition. And, and when they do, you'll see them. They'll go through relationship after relationship. They'll go through church after church. They'll go through job after job. They'll move from one house to another, to another and to another. They can't find anything because they think what they're going to find is going to be external. When the truth is, everything that they truly are dealing with is right here. 
And the only thing that can get us out of our holding pattern is often turbulence. I believe God sends turbulence into our lives sometimes. I think there's some things that God allows. It's for the trial of our faith. Then I believe there is some things, and I can take you to Scripture. Often people ask, give me some scriptural references for this, and I'll be glad to do that. Because of time's sake, I, I won't dig into the depth of this, but sometimes God allows turbulence into your life because He's trying He's trying your faith, but sometimes God sends turbulence in your life because He's trying to shake you out of the pattern that you're living in. He upsets things. There was a man, probably one of the wealthier men that I, I know personally and up close. He was on a job and did well. His family was taken care of. And without any warning, he and a group of his co-workers were called in and told the company's selling out and the new business is going to be taken over in just a few weeks. When the new business came in to take over, they said, we're cutting all of the people that are in this department. You're all losing your jobs. We can move you to new locations. You're going to take pay cuts. All this will happen. And it wasn't feasible for him, and he couldn't do it. He literally lost his job, did not know what he was going to do. What do you do in that season? That might qualify as transition. He's caught in the middle of transition, not knowing what he's going to do. He got to thinking about what he was going to do. He came up with an idea. He opened his own business. God began to bless his business because of his faithfulness. Things began to go well for him. In a matter of a few years, he was making more money than he'd ever made in his life. A few years later, the business continu continued to double and triple until finally he owns homes all over the country, flies all over the country, owns vehicles with all of his homes, set up for retirement, puts his kids in business, has opportunity to sell his business for more money than you and I could possibly ever imagine. He's remained faithful to God through all of it. He's, he came to me one time and looked at me. I wish he attended church here, but he doesn't. He came to me one time and he said, Brother Jordan, if it had not been for the day that I lost my job, I would have retired off of that job with a mediocre income. But because of what God allowed me to go through and because I didn't get bitter over it, I kept my mind open and clung to the foot of the cross and said I'm going to be faithful to God through all of it. He said because of that, God began to open doors and today... I make enough money to be able to plant churches and send missionaries on my own. My, I'm taking care of my father. I'd have never been here if it hadn't have been that God allowed me to go through transition. So how you handle it can have everything to do with the outcome. When this happens, God sends turbulence to shake you loose from the pattern that you're in. Sometimes you feel like, sometimes I believe we just get too comfortable in life. Am I okay tonight? 
Sometimes we just get too comfortable in life. We're, we're, we're just living life and we're, we're comfortable and God's got a higher calling for you. God's got something greater planned for you and, and you're just caught up in life. You're making an income. You're raising your family. You're taking care of things. You're buying the house. You're enjoying life. You're taking vacations. And God said, but I have a calling that's greater than that. And he just reach, reaches up and he just bumps. He just bumps your life. Now, I... I know these young people on the front row will have no idea what I'm talking about. But how many of you ever had the long play and the LP records? You know, had the needle, scratchy, yeah, yeah. See, these kids are going, huh? What are you talking about, DVD? Remember what happens when that record player's playing and you're running through the room and you jump real hard and you bump into the side of it and that thing goes <laughs> and it picks up somewhere else. You cause the, the turbulence in the room, cause the needle to skip. Sometimes it skips forward, sometimes it skips back. That's kind of like life when God is in it. Sometimes he says, you're just too comfortable just going around in circles and he just reaches up and gives us a bump and then he allows it just to, the needle to skip across and all of a sudden we're like, I don't even know where I am. And he's like, yeah, you were being faithful then. Can you be faithful now? You were okay then. Will you be okay now? Will you, everything, you were smiling then. Will you smile now? You were, you were worshiping then. Will you worship now? Sometimes God tries to shake us out of the pattern of life. Sometimes we get in the routine of just coming to church, going through the motions, singing our songs, sitting on the pew, and going home. And God allows some turbulence to come in our life where we have to get desperate before God. Let me talk to you. For those of you that have a tendency to go through the motions and say, well, it's not about all that shouting and dancing and worship and praying and fasting, and we let them go through it, but you know, when it's all over, I'm just going to still be where I am. Don't make God reach up and bump your record player. Because God sometimes inspires the pastor to say, just turn, just shake things up a little bit. Call a fast when you ought to not call one. Call revival when, you, when, when, when it'd be easier. Just do something a little different. And, it's and we don't like it because it, it's moving us out of our comfort zone. Oh, there's so much I could say right now. There's some folks that resist what God is wanting and trying to do and then they, they can't understand why they end up in the mess they're in and they get in the middle of the mess and they're calling the pastor saying, oh, pastor, pray for me. And pastor's going, maybe if you'd have just worked with what God was trying to do, you wouldn't end up where you are. Maybe if you would just listen to the voice of God, he wouldn't have to create turbulence in your life. Yep, we're going to pray that God brings you out of it. But the issue is, is God may have, what we're trying to pray that God takes off of you may be what God put on you to bring you out of the turbulence, to, to bring you out of the pattern that you're in. Sometimes the turbulence happens, but sometimes God brings it into our life. And when you get in, when you get in these situations that you don't understand, you know, 
situations and times like people are talking about you and you don't know why in the world they're talking about you. Somebody stabs you in the back. Somebody mistreats you. Somebody takes advantage of you. We can't figure it out. We're wondering why. Maybe God's trying to shake some things loose in you so you can take a more clear look at what's going on in your life and reevaluate some things. Maybe life is more than the job that you're working. Maybe he's trying to tell you, i got some kids I put in front of you. Maybe he's telling you, I've got a call on your life. Maybe he's trying to put you in a position to where he can use you or take you to something greater than you've ever been part of. So the issue is, is when you get there, you've got to keep pushing through it. You can't get bitter. I've learned this through the few years that I have lived without pain and without hurt and without disappointment. Rarely will people go where God has really assigned them to go. It takes pain and hurt and disappointment in order for us to get to the point that God is really wanting to use us. David said in Psalm 119, he said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Mm. How many of you have ever said, Thank you, Lord, for the affliction? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Church doesn't grow when the preacher preaches like I'm preaching to you tonight, does it? Because it's right where we live. David said, sometimes it's good for me that I go through affliction because the affliction is working for my good. Everything was going good and the Lord said, Burr! and you're like, whoa, the brakes just came on. What am I supposed to do? I, I I thought everything was going good. What what just happened? The wheel ran off. The brakes locked up. God's saying, I, I, I got to do something because I can't get your attention. You're praying for God to deliver you out of something that he designed to put into you because he's trying to work things into your life or out of your life. Understand this. If you're taking notes tonight, this may be something you want to Sometimes the turbulence of life is God trying to work something into your life or God trying to work something out of your life. Sometimes you may see today and you may not see it for a while. You may not understand it for a long while. You may look back and recognize in the middle of that thing. But I can promise you this. The trial of your faith will always be found more precious than gold that has been tried in the fire. It's the trial that is more precious than gold, pure gold, because the trial is always working for your good. God is either working something into you or something out of you, but it's always for your good. It's for his purpose. Stop and think before you start saying, God, just deliver me out of this mess that I'm in. God may say, no, no. And somebody says, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why. We need to stop and ask God, Lord, what is it you're working into me? What is it you're working out of me? Because I don't like where I am. And the quicker I fix whatever it is, the quicker I learn whatever you want me to learn, the quicker I take the step of faith you're wanting me to take, the sooner I respond to what you're doing in my life, the sooner I get out of this, God, show me, lead me, help me to understand. That often ought to be our our prayer. Hebrews 12 and 13 says, no chastening at the present time 
seems joyous. I don't know about these kids up here on the front row. Um, I, I'm, Aiden, when you're, oh, you've never been spanked. Um, I've never, ever, ever seen a kid while he's getting spanked say, thank you, Daddy, thank you, Mama. I never spanked my kids because I was angry and wanting to hurt them. Because if that was the motive, that's called abuse. So the motive can't be that I'm angry and I'm trying to hurt them. The, the motive is I am trying to teach them a lesson so they don't do whatever it is they did again. So I want them to remember the correction that reminds them that they must not do whatever it is. It was never intended to hurt them. When they're going, ouch, this pain is just going to be for a moment. I'm not here to break your arm or your leg. It's just, I'm just trying to send a gentle reminder, and I'm doing this with love. And I actually said it to my kids like my dad did to me. This hurts me worse than it hurts you. And I never believed it till I had my own kids. Sometimes I wonder the tears that would be falling from heaven if we actually could see God's grief in dealing with us because he's trying to work something into us or something out of us. He's trying to help us. The writer said, the apostle Paul said, no chastening at the present time seems joyous, but it's working for our good. Maybe the mess that you're in is part of God's plan before you arrive at your destiny. But where God has, what God has intended for you, you can never get there the way you are. He's got to fix some things. There's got to be some changes. So when we start reaching the point that we're pointing our finger to everybody else and saying, it's everybody else's fault. So what I need is I just need to be put in this place called utopia so that I don't have any other interferences around me. And God's saying, if I put you there, you would still be who you are. So I'm going to put you in a situation where you got somebody that is poking at you and prodding at you because I'm trying to work on your attitude, trying to work on your spirit, trying to work on your temper, trying to work on your tongue. I'm trying to work on your faithfulness. I'm trying to work on your contentment. I'm trying to work on your joy. I'm trying to work on your peace. Maybe the mess you find yourself in occasionally is God preparing you for where he wants to take you to. Let me get to our text tonight. David ended up in a place called Ziklag. The reason that David ended up in Ziklag was because David was running from Saul. Ziklag was David's place of great sorrow, but it's also David's place of transition. I want to look at it from this angle tonight. It, it, was, it was a place of great sorrow for David uh, in our text tonight, but I want you to see that it was a place of David's transition because David goes to Ziklag, and he is running from Saul. Saul represents David's past. David represented the future. Anybody with me now? 
Saul represented the past. David represented the future. David ends up in Ziklag running from Saul. Anybody with me now? David represents the... Let's try this again. Saul represented the past. David represented the future. David ended up in Ziklag running from his Saul past. Saul wants to get to Ziklag and kill David. The future. Here's the struggle. It's the struggle of the past and the future. It's the struggle of what we've been through and where we're going to. See, I know we're supposed to have the organ and, and things are supposed to be mighty piped up and we're supposed things are supposed to be at fever pitch when I say this to you, but I'm telling you the anointing of the Lord is upon the word that is coming forth tonight. David is in Ziklag. People said Saul hated David. Saul didn't hate David. Saul hated what David represented. Saul hated what God was doing through David. Saul used to call David to come to where he was and play the harp to get the devil and the evil spirits off of him. He knew David was anointed. Because every time that the devil started messing with him, he knew who to call. He called an anointed man. He knew that. But he hated the fact that the future was anointed, but the past was beyond its anointing. Saul was anointed for a season. Saul was chosen by God. Don't forget that. Saul was chosen for God, by God, but it was a season. But when it came time to where the Lord said, all right, I'm ready to make the transition from Saul to David. Now Saul's king, but now we're going to make David king. David's anointed, but David, although anointed, could not serve as king. Somebody said, why? It was Saul's fault. No, it wasn't. It was God's fault. Because David was anointed, but he wasn't ready. Can I talk to you tonight? Just because you're anointed doesn't mean you're ready. Just because a young man is called of God doesn't mean he's ready. He's got to rely on, he's got to rely on somebody to tell him. He's got to re rely on a spiritual authority to tell him when he is ready. When a young man or a young woman come in and announce, I'm ready, that's where they're missing the whole boat. They, they, they're lacking submission. Saul's representing the past. He was anointed of God for a season. Now it's time for David to serve. But God allowed David to be chased by Saul, run for his life. And then go through some tests like David could have taken Saul's life. And God said, now David, now what are you going to do? 
You know the commandments, thou shalt not kill, but are you going to? Because now this man that's been trying to take your life, you have an opportunity to take his. David, I want to see what you're made of. I'm guessing there was a point in David's life that David probably would have killed Saul. But God needed to see that David had worked through some things in his life and reached a point when he was given an opportunity to, to revenge all that he had been through that he made the right decision to say, I'm not going to get back at them just because I can. Sometimes God's trying to work some things out of you. Sometimes he's trying to work some things into you. That's why you end up in Ziklag. Because he's trying, to let, he's trying to test you to find out, are you going to destroy the people that tried to destroy you? Or are you going to spare them and show mercy and grace to them? And until we get to the point that we're over the past enough, that we'll let the past live on. And we'll, let, we'll, we'll, we'll move on and not let the past interrupt our future. Then God says, now I can take you into the future. But as long as you're clinging your emotions into the past and responding to the past, I'll never let you go into your future. He knew David was anointed. Saul, once who was so mightily anointed of God, now is jealous of David's anointing. He obviously became jealous. He's jealous of the favor of God in his life. He decides to kill David in, in, in an attempt to stop what God is trying to do through his life. Let me just speak this to you. Be careful who you surround yourself with because not everybody will rejoice with you when God is trying to elevate you. Not everybody's going to rejoice when God is using you. Not everybody's going to rejoice over the favor of God in your life. Over the next few years, what God plans to do in some of your lives, God is going to do it in spite of other people. Because if it was left to other people's decisions, Saul would, would stop it. Saul would destroy it. But you've got, to make up a you've got to make up in your mind, I'm walking away from my Saul to move into my David. I'm walking away from my past to move into my future. And some of them may even be willing to kill you to prevent you from doing the will of God. I need to stay on my subject tonight. Saul represented the past. David represented the future. Some of us need to be careful. We need to stop hanging out with our past because if we're not careful your past will, will rise up and will destroy you. If you don't control your past, your past will control your future. This is why people deal with sin, the same sin, over and over and over and over and over again. This is why people deal with addictions. Because if you, don't, if you don't control your past, your past will control your future. I heard somebody, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they, they were taught, we were kind of discussing this subject a little bit. And it may have been where this study kind of came from and was birthed from. And they're like, well, I just feel like I need to pray more. Let me tell you what James chapter 4 verse 7 says. 
Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Prayer is good. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Praying is good, but don't forget the next portion of James chapter 4, verse number 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You cannot pray the devil away from you. You cannot pray the addiction away from you. Oh, Brother Jordan, you're telling me that God can't do this? You cannot overcome an addiction with prayer alone. The only way you're going to overcome the addiction is submitting yourself to God. That's through prayer, through fasting, through Bible reading, through living a separated life. But no matter how spiritual you are, I know spiritual people, people who have been born again of the water and the Spirit, lived a good life, people who have been on the platform, sang under the anointed, preached under the anointed, that still deal with addictions and sins from their past. So were they ever really saved? Was that really the anointing or was that just talent? Of course it was the anointing. But the only way that they're going to move forward into their future, you must resist. Everybody shout resist. Resist the devil. Resist evil. Resist the addiction. Resist the pornography. Resist the alcohol. Resist the drugs. Resist it. How do I overcome it? Resist it. You mean I can't pray enough? No, you got to resist it. How do I resist this temptation? Don't get around it. Don't go there. Don't drive home that direction. If you have an issue with somebody telling dirty jokes at the water cooler every day at work, take your own water cooler. Stop going to the water cooler. Well, people are going to think I'm weird. So what? You're going to let people control you because of your past? Or are you going to go into your future? But I don't want people to think that I'm weird. So, you know, they're going to the bar, so I'm going to go to the bar with them. And, you know, every time I get there, I, I, just, end up, I just end up drinking. Stop going to the bar with them. Every time I drive by the liquor store, I have a flat on my tire and it just automatically pulls me in. I doubt it, but start driving home another way. I talked to a man one time who was dealing with alcoholism. He said, I'm not an alcoholic. I sat down with him to drink and eat. He said, Pastor, you mind if I have a beer? I had a sweet tea. He said, mind if I have a beer? I looked at him. I said, of course I mind if you have a beer. Pastor, you said that to somebody? Absolutely. I was trying to help him overcome it. 
I said, absolutely, I might if you have a beer. I said, I'm buying tonight, and I'm not buying your beer. He smiled at me. He said, well, I appreciate your honesty. I said, absolutely, any day. We sat down talking. He said, Pastor, I don't really have a drinking problem. My family thinks I do. My wife thinks I have a drinking problem. I don't have a drinking problem. I'd stop any time that I want. But he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I sit down and have a steak, I like to have a beer. I said, fair enough. I said, you like beer? I like beer. I like to taste the beer. I enjoy drinking beer. And he said, when I have a steak, I, I have a beer. He said, I'm going to tell you. And I enjoy cooking out at home. And he said, when I cook out at home, he said, I pull up. And he said, I, I, when I'm grilling out, he said, now, I have a beer or two. He said, I don't drink all the time. He said, but I'm going to tell you, on a hot summer day, he said, I get out and mow my yard. And when I mow my yard, I'm going to have a beer. He said, it, you know, it's not a problem. He said, every day when I get home from work, he said, I feel like that I've worked hard all day and I, I don't sit down. I don't have a drinking problem, but I sit down. I'm going to have me a couple beer when I get home. He said, now, you know, on the weekend, he said, you know, I don't have a drinking problem, but on the weekend, he said, I, uh, I usually, on Saturdays, I kind of, you know, I've worked all week. He said, I, I drink a couple beer. And I, now, I'm, I'm starting to come to church. He said, I'm kind of getting over that on Sunday a little bit. He said, I used to sit down on Sunday, and I watched a football game. And he said, I have a beer. He said, I don't drink much now. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't drink much. He said, but I said, stop yourself. Listen to you. You have a beer or two every day on your, on your, when you get home from work. A beer every time you mow your grass, a beer every time you grill out, a beer when you eat steak, a beer when you have dinner, a beer at the foot. But wait a minute. So the first thing you need to get real with is you need to get real with the fact that's a whole lot of beer drinking. So quit telling me that it's not a problem. I said, now tell me, how, how's the Sunday thing working out for you? He said, I don't drink anymore on Sunday. I said, why don't you? He said, well, because I go to church. Good job. You know what you did? You replaced your alcohol with something else. I said, has it ever been a struggle? He said, yeah, it is. But I made a commitment that I wasn't going to drink on Sunday because that's my day to go to church. And he said, I go home, and when, even if I'm watching football, I don't, drink, I don't drink on that day. I said, wonderful. And guess what? You're having a steak, and you're not drinking a beer. I said, you know how you're going to overcome this? When you go mow your yard again. He said, well, it probably needs mowed pretty soon. I said, when you mow your yard, don't have a beer. I said, when do you go to work next? He said, well, Monday. I said, when you get home from work, don't have a beer. He said, it's hard. I said, can you do it? He said, probably, but it's hard. I said, but you don't have a problem. He said, all right, maybe I do. I said, you know how you're going to overcome it? By resisting it. 
I said, if you really want to overcome it, here's what I want you to do. I'll drive home with you right now. I said, how much beer do you have at home? He said, I got a couple cases. I said, let's go to your house. Crack open every one of them and pour it out and get it out of your life. He said, well, that stuff, you know, it's, it's expensive. I said, so you want to keep drinking it or you want over it? Because you got to do something to resist it. I like telling this story. Brother Heron and my son Gentry were on an extended fast a few years ago. And they were traveling together as they were preaching at a specific church. And on their way there, Brother Heron just turned off the road and pulled into McDonald's and pulled up at the drive through window. And he said, I want two chocolate chip cookies. And Gentry said, bro, we're on a fast. What are you doing? He pulled up paid for the two chocolate chip cookies. They handed them in. He pulled over in the parking place, got it out, sniffed of it, opened the door, threw it down, smashed it real good, said, victory over the devil. Let's go preach. Now, while funny it may be, but I don't recommend you do that. The best way to resist the devil is to push him out of your life. Stop opening the door of opportunity for him. Don't go to McDonald's and buy the cookies. Because Gentry said, if he wouldn't have been there, buddy, I would have eaten them. I didn't have the victory that much. So how do I resist the devil? Here you go. Here you go. How do I resist the enemy? How do I resist this thing? Here you go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, because you know all that stuff you're dealing with, you know, when you get in transition and God's saying, bump, I'm trying to get you in transition, I'm trying to get you out of the pattern, and you're like, oh, I can't handle it, I got to drink, I got to smoke, I got I to gotta have drugs, I got to, well, I wish I had a church that wanted to help me preach tonight. So you're in the middle of transition. Believe me that the adversary knows you're in transition. And if you don't handle the transition right, you'll end up running to everything else. It may be that in the transition, God's trying your faith to see who are you going to run to. You're going to run to God or you're going to run back to the old life. Hello? Are you going to run back to Saul or are you going to run back to your David? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, your wife, because your adversary, your boss, because your adversary, your pastor, because your adversary, the devil, he is your adversary. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse number 9. Is it on the screen behind me? Can you get that up there? Do you have time? If not, that's okay. Somebody that's got their Bible, I want you to shout it out as loud as you can. Verse number 9. Read the first six words of verse number 9. How do you resist the devil? First Peter chapter 5. Verse 9, 
Somebody with a strong voice, shout it out as loud as you can. Read those first six words. Tell somebody how you resist the devil. There it is. It's on the screen. Ready? Everybody look up at the screen and read those first few words with me. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How do you resist him? Whom? All I need is a little faith and I can resist the devil. That's not what it says. You resist by being steadfast in faith. Whom resist steadfast. I'm in transition, but I'm not wavering. I'm confused, but I'm not wavering. I'm disappointed, but I'm not wavering. I lost my job, but I'm not wavering. I went through divorce, but I'm not wavering. I'm going through pain, but I'm not wavering. Sickness has hit my home, but I'm not wavering. I'm resisting the devil that would attack me during transition by being steadfast in the faith. Pastor, it's not so easy. No, it's not, but knowing that the same affliction that are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That means it happens to your brethren and you think it happens to them only because they're serving God. False. The same things happen to people in the world. Why me? I don't understand why I got the bad diagnosis. Same thing happens to people in the world. God came to isolate us, not insulate us. So we still have the same. He, he came, he came to, to insulate us, not isolate us. That means, that means we're still in the world, but we're not of the world. The purpose of insulation is to keep what's on the outside from getting on the inside. The insulation in these walls is helping to keep in the sound and helps keep in the heat and it helps keep out the cold. But it doesn't change the weather on the outside. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We must resist being steadfast. No matter what the devil throws our way, we just remain steadfast. James chapter 4, verse number 7. Submit yourself therefore before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So if you don't know but now, Usually in transition, you reveal who will be in control of your life. Somebody said, well, I deal with this because of the offenses, all the offenses that have come into my life. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 7, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Meaning, if somebody is offending you, woe unto them. But the Lord allowed it because it needs to happen to you. You're going, why me? They need to die. God ought to kill them. And the Lord said, woe unto them because they're wrong for bringing the offense. But evidently, you needed to deal with it. Because I'm trying to work something into your life. Don't ever look at somebody that's being blessed and get offensive and defensive and jealous of what God is doing in somebody else's life. You don't know what they've been through to get to where they are. 
bless them and let them move on and you deal with your own issues until God moves you out of your transition and on toward your destiny. I've got to hurry. I'm going to run out of time before I can finish this lesson tonight. It isn't because David had everything right. It's because David knew how to touch the heart of God with his worship. I believe that's why David, there's a lot of thoughts of why David was the man after God's own heart. But I do know this much. My worship transitions me to a new place in God. We all need to go through those seasons of transition, but my worship during transition is what moves me in toward my destiny. My faithfulness, being steadfast in the faith, not coming in pouting because I had a bad day, not coming in with a bad attitude because I had a hard day at work or the dog got sick or the car didn't start or I had a fight with my spouse. Of course, don't get any ideas. My wife and I don't fight. She's right. I'm wrong. Worship transitions us from where we are to where God is wanting to take us to. Let me run through this as quickly as I can, try to wrap this up in the next five minutes. Would you give me the next five? Ziklag, thank you. Whoever said amen, thank you. I got one person that's given me five, and Brother Scott nodded his head. You blame it on those two. Ziklag was a painful place. It was a painful place, but it was a place of transition. David gets to Ziklag because he had nowhere else to go to, so they gave him Ziklag. So Ziklag was where David could go live because here they didn't, the other kings didn't want him because they, they were all fearful. And so they gave David Ziklag. Ziklag was a place that David did not even, he didn't, he didn't even want to be there. Ziklag was, it was really the only place that he could go to. Uh, the Philistine king Achish um, sent David to Ziklag as a place to dwell. And uh, what, a, what a gift because Ziklag was known as a place of great distress and loss. What a friend we have in Achish. He gave you a gift, and the gift is a place of despair and loss, distress. Truly, the king was trying to control him, so he put him in a place where he would not have the upper hand, but he would have the upper hand over David. Be careful to people who are trying to speak into your life. They may not have your best interest in mind. They may have their own best interest in mind. So David gets in Ziklag, and he's there just a short while. And David and all of his men leave and go to the north and begin to fight. And they're fighting the battles of the Lord. They're, they're on God's side. They're fighting battles and they're, they're winning victories and they go and they do the work of God and they kill all these people and the battle's over and the men are tired and weary and here David and his hundred or so men come back to Ziklag and when they break over the crest of the hill they look at Ziklag and all they see is smoke. They left home to go do the work of God. They win victories for the Lord but when they get back to Ziklag, their home, everything was burned 
the women and children were taken and put into captivity. Now what do you do? My text said, David and the men that were with him wept until they had no more power to weep. Meaning they wept until they literally were on the ground passing out in exhaustion from their weeping. Their families are taken. Their belongings are destroyed. Any goods that were, were had were taken and were all nothing left. All that they could see were the smoldering embers of yesterday's fire. Now what do we do? The men start talking about stoning David and killing David because he had led them off and they weren't home to protect his kids and family and belongings. And now the men are turning against David and David had nobody to encourage him. That was a bad day. And here's what the scripture said about David. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. He had nobody else to encourage him, so David encouraged himself in the Lord. David is still not into his future. He's still not serving as king, but he's not either. Is he going to allow the past to any longer control him? So in the middle of transition when he loses everything, everything's been taken from him. He, it was one thing he had. He had his own courage to not get discouraged, but to encourage himself in the Lord. In your darkest hour, if you can find the willpower, if you can find the courage to encourage yourself, to strengthen yourself in courage, if you can find the courage to strengthen yourself, I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that if you don't conquer your own flesh, your own flesh will destroy you. I'm out of time. I've got to quit. I, 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 I wish I could... I wish I could Finish this the way that, that it needs to be finished tonight. But David encouraged himself. The greatest battle that you will ever fight will not be with your neighbor, with your spouse, with your co-worker, with where you, the greatest battle you're going to ever fight is going to be the courage that you have within you to become happy and satisfied where you are understanding I am going to encourage myself in the Lord. David began to ask God because at that point in life, he didn't even know. He asked God, do I just lay down here and die? Or do I find the strength and courage to go after my enemy? And here's how David asked, asked the Lord. He said, do I pursue and do I overtake the enemy? In the middle of his disaster, he said, do I lay down and pout, suck my thumb, and let the men around me destroy me? Or do I get up and pursue the enemy and destroy them and take back our families and take back our homes? i tell you what he did. The Lord said, by all means, David, get up from where you are, pursue the enemy, and overtake them. And by all means, recover everything that's been taken from you. That's what I'm trying to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Don't sit down because you've been through it. Get up from where you are. Pursue after your after your future and declare the devil's not going to take my joy. The devil's not going to take my peace. The devil's not going to take my future. I'm going to pursue take back everything he's taken from me and I will walk in victory again.
Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise in the house. Give the Lord a shout of praise. I know you're going through it tonight. Somebody's going through it tonight, but God's going to see you through to the other side. Find the courage to say, I'm going to get the victory through these next few weeks. I'm going to get the victory. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep pursuing. I'm going to win my family. In Jesus' name, God be with us. Help us tonight. I pray for every person in the room. Lord, we're going to bless your name at all times. Your praises shall continually be in my mouth. I pray tonight, Lord, over every person, be strength to us, lead us to truth.